Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Little Light Devotions. It is good to have you guys back again, especially after, you know, this wild semester that I had at college. You know, I'm back home now in Baltimore, and I am just very thankful that the Lord brought me home safely. I'm thankful for another semester over with. I only have one more year left until I get out of PCC, and I am eagerly waiting the day for that to happen. It just seemed like... It just seemed like, honestly, they, they were just trying to push my buttons more often than they usually do, which is saying something about PCC. Uh, I tried to have patience, but even then, there were there were there were times that I did not always respond scripturally to the trials and tribulations given to me by the college. Nevertheless, we're back home now. It's over. It's done with, and I get to have a room back to myself. Praise God. I'm very thankful for the opportunity that I have to come talk to y'all today. I know that life gets crazy. I know that there is a lot of heightened feelings around the world. You know, this whole thing with Israel and Palestine has been really raging on, and the whole situation with the gas crisis, and meanwhile, governors and city officials are trying to tighten or loosen COVID restrictions, and people are just at each other's throats. Metaphorically, though, because social distancing. But it's still a tumultuous time, and we should be praying for one another. We should be trying to understand one another, and we should be focusing on the right things. Uh, the Bible says, whatever things are good, think on these things. So what is the goodest thing? You know? Like, what is, if someone came up to you and said, what is the goodest would you, one, correct them for their grammar, or two, would you respond with what you think is the best thing? What is the best thing? To be honest, my favorite book in the New Testament is the book of Romans. I love it. It so clearly lays out the gospel. It so clearly describes uh, a victorious Christian life. It is one of, if not the most succinct, descriptive, and beautifully accurate description of Christianity you really could find. Not to say the rest of the Bible isn't, you know, just as beautiful or wonderful, but there's something about the way that Romans is worded. There's something about the way that it's set up even just as a letter, that it just all flows as one thought unit, and it's so wonderful. So what is the best thing? What is the best thing? Well, if you read the book of Romans, you can really see just how important faith is. You can see just how clear the importance of having faith is. I mean, you start off in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and it just kind of goes on talking about how mankind is dead in its sins, how the laws doesn't make anything better, and how works definitely do not bring you to any point of righteousness. The only thing that brings you to righteousness is faith, and mankind just stands condemned uh, because of its unbelief. That's basically what Romans 1 through 3 just goes on about, is the lack of belief or the rejection of God through conscience and creation and other means that... Humanity is condemned. Even those who have never heard the gospel are without excuse because God reveals his greatness and power in the ways of the conscience, the mind, and creation. 
and rejection of that, rejection of God, like Christ says, if you reject me on earth, I will reject you in heaven. That's ultimately and plainly what it is. And so it builds up to that, that humanity is condemned, there's nothing that our works can do, and it's only by faith that comes justification. And so the justification is probably the best thing that a man can have. Dead in the trespasses of sin to now aliving and abiding in Christ. That is what justification does. And that brings us to Romans chapter 5, which, you know, the first 10 verses, 11 verses, deal with just the results of justification alone. So we're going to read at verses 1 through 11 in Romans chapter 5. We'll be in the modern English version today. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also received, we have also access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience, patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While we were yet weak, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, being now justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What an absolute beautiful passage. Just get that whole thing framed and just tattoo it all over your back. It is such a good set of verses. I love it so much. Well, let's just walk through it. Why do I love this passage so much? Probably one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. Therefore, and the therefore, you know, I always heard preachers say, you know, if it's, if it's you see therefore, you gotta know what it's there for. And so therefore is just re referring to the fact of our justification, that faith brings about true justification, complete justification, Works don't add to salvation. Your faith in Christ is what saves you. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like it said before, we were enemies with God. We were at opposition with the God. We were rejecting God. But, since we have believed and our belief brings justification, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life. There is no one that comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Through whom, through Jesus, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Hey, because of your faith in Jesus, you have access to the daily grace of God. There will be times where you will feel like you'll not be able to continue. You'll not be able to finish. You will get surrounded by the pressures and the troubles of the world. It's going to happen. It's going to come. There is no doubt about it. But that grace of God, our faith, which has justified us, has given us access to God through Jesus Christ, that we are able to receive the grace of God. 
And so because of all this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's kind of, it's not really like how we use the word hope today, you know, like, um, so I'm a military brat, so I was kind of raised all over the country, but my dad is from Cleveland. And so we are all about the Browns. We are all about the Indians or the Cleveland baseball team, as they now call it, and the Cavaliers, unfortunately. And so whenever we watch anything Cleveland, you know, we say we hope the Browns win. You know, the Browns finally actually had a good year for the first time in forever. And so we went to the playoffs. We won the first away playoff game in like 70 years. We have all these things going, and we were going against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I was sitting there, and I was thinking, man, I hope we win this game. Did we? No. But I hoped we did. When the Bible uses the word hope, though, it's not referring to just this wishful thinking. It's referring to a confident assurance that something is going to happen. So we have a certain hope. So what is the hope that we have? What is something that is certainly going to pass that we should be looking forward to? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hey, our faith through Christ gives us peace with God and access to God and gives us the glory of God. Now, don't take that in a way where I'm trying to be you know, sacrilegious or anything irreverent by any means. We will never actually truly attain to the glory of God. But we have a future glorious resurrection. Without the res- This is what 2 Corinthians talks all about, is that if there was no resurrection of Christ, well, then there's no covering of sins. And if there's no covering of sins, we have no hope to one day be resurrected ourselves, like an actual bodily resurrection. You don't always have to agree about the outline of eschatology. You know, my church just started up uh, Revelation. Our pastor is now going to start going through Revelation. And, you know, I go to an independent Baptist church. So just like the majority of others, we are premillennial dispensationalists. At least that's what the church is. I'm still kind of working my way through my beliefs on that one. Uh, But I have very good friends I have very good friends who are amillennial, who believe that the thousand-year reign of Christ is a metaphorical thousand years and that it's taking place now. I have those who believe that the tribulation is going to be after uh, the I'm sorry, not the tribulation. The second coming will be after, and the millennial will be after, and the rapture will be after. Everything will be post-millennial. And there are some who still hold to the classical Baptist premillennial dispensationalist view. You don't have to agree on how the timeline works. But you should agree that there is coming a day where Christ will return, bodily resurrect his saints, and we will be given the glory of God and live with him forever. That is the hope that we have. We have an eternal hope that this life is not all that there is. That even after the pains and sorrows of this life and ultimately the death that we will endure, we will be resurrected again to experience life in a much fuller way for a much longer time. Eternity lasts a little while. That's the hope that we have of the glory of God. So because of this, we can boast in tribulation. 
we have absolutely no reason to get upset about tough times in life. Bad times will come. And they will be bad times. It's not just going to be like, ah, that's rough. No, it's going to be genuine, terrible situations. There's going to be times where cancer comes. There's going to be times where the job doesn't land. There's going to be times where the paycheck can't come through. There's going to be times when the bills pile too high. There's going to be times when you get stabbed in the back. Tribulation comes. But don't let the focus get taken away from the hope. Because we have so many difficult things going on in life. Even the Son of God had nowhere to lay his head at night. Who are we to think that we are so special that we can be spared the tribulations of this life? No, the tribulations of this life are for a purpose. They are to produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. When we have patience, when we allow the things in life to not overcome us, that builds us up in our character. And our character constantly reflects the hope. And it builds us up closer to the hope. You know, the further away from God, the more it seems like the trials of life are overtaking us. But when we're closer to God, when we've built up a patience and have a character and rely more on the hope, the tribulation doesn't really seem as big. And hope does not disappoint. So this is kind of the difference between the way we use the word hope today and the way that the Bible uses the word hope. The hope that we have today can disappoint. I was very disappointed when the Browns lost against the Kansas City Chiefs. But... This hope that we have in Christ, that does not disappoint. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hey, you cannot rejuvenate yourself without the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I've always heard about Baptists is they're always looking for revival but can never find it. We need revival. You'll see, you'll hear some preacher say you're in the South. We need revival. We need revival in this country today. And they tell you all that stuff. And it's it's good. It's true. We do need revival. But it starts off in our hearts. And it starts off in the right way. You can't make yourself be revived. You know, if you're flatlining, you can't bring yourself back. You have no way to do that. What you require is somebody else to take that defibrillator, put that against your chest, and shock you back into living. Let me tell you, you spiritually cannot bring yourself back to life. You must start with the life that Jesus Christ gives you. And the only way to rejuvenate yourself in that life is through the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, that looks like choosing to not worry about things. That looks like praise. I feel like we neglect praise so far, so often. We try to make Christianity so practical that we neglect the spiritual aspect of Christianity. Christianity is a practical religion, yes, but it's still a religion. It still deals with the spirit of man. It still deals with your soul. So we need to focus on praise. And I feel like we as Christians just forget to praise way too often. Like, how do we forget to do that? I was reading through a um, a plan, that's what it is, a plan on you version. It's called Until Unity. 
And they had this whole thing about praise. It was the very first lesson. Uh, it says this. We were God's enemy, destined to face his wrath. Let that sink in. Let me tell you, you were against God. You were God's enemy. And God had every right to throw our sinful souls into a fiery hell for the sins that we committed against him and against humanity. We deserve punishment for that. That puts us in a pretty bad spot. But yet Jesus was tortured on the cross to appease the wrath of God. Does that truth still move you? You are now reconciled with God and adopted as his child. How do we go a day without praising him for this? And hey, God now abides in you. Don't just give this a head nod. Marvel at this. This is serious. This is real. This is exponentially insane. The fact that we, as absolute sinful reprobates, can have even an iota of a relationship with a pure and holy God is already magnificent enough to even try and comprehend. But when you realize you can have a thorough, fulfilling, and whole relationship with the entirety of the character of God, that should just be marvelous. That shouldn't be something we just lose sight of. Listen, this hope does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint. Remember that there will be one day, if you are a believer, that you will, if you, if you die, you will be resurrected out of that grave. And you will live forever in eternity with Jesus Christ in a glorified body that feels no pain, that feels no sorrow. There is only joy in the eternal presence with God. And that, we can feel some of that. We can feel some of that in this life through the revival of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that comes about with praise and recognition of the hope. While we were yet weak, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I don't mean to get off on a tangent here, but I'm just going to put this in as a little side note. This is kind of why I can't really get with the whole Reformed Calvinistic doctrine. When I see things like, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, it doesn't really say the elected ungodly. It doesn't really say the elected whole world. It just says the ungodly, or it says the world, or it says whosoever. Don't let man's rationality, don't let man's extra critical thinking, don't let man's Hyper-intellectualism take you away from the fact that Jesus Christ loves the world, gave himself for the world, and tells us to preach the gospel to the world. Because while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, Paul talks about just like two chapters before, I'm sorry, three chapters before in uh, Romans 2, he talks about the law. He talks about the law and just how it was not sufficient for salvation. Adherence to the law is not sufficient because none of us could fully adhere to the law. We have no way of doing that. So while we were in our weakness, while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. 
And Paul goes on to explain how absolutely insane this is. He's like, rarely for a righteous man will one die. Maybe for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't have to try and fix yourself before you enter into the presence of the Almighty Savior and Creator. Let me tell you, if you're a person who at this moment says they wouldn't be a Christian because they feel like they have to clean themselves up before they walk into the presence of God, let me tell you, that's not what God wants. God wants you to bring yourself to Him. He shows throughout the entirety of Romans that we are not the righteous man or the good man. And yet Christ died for us. Hey, he loves you. He died for you. So we have that hope. We have the hope that Christ died for us. We have the hope that we will have a bodily resurrection. So how much more then, being now justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? There's nothing more plain than it is right there. The result of the justification is salvation. The result of the justification is being spared the wrath of God. Some people refer to this wrath of God as the tribulation. And whether you view it as the tribulation, I believe it truly does extend into the eternal wrath of God. We are saved from that because of our faith. We are justified by him. Furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is nothing you can add to salvation. Jesus Christ brings the reconciliation. Not your baptism, not your Eucharist, not your Hail Marys, not your confessions, not your traditions, not your dress, not your hairstyle, not your music, not your Bible versions. The only thing that reconciles you to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that the work is done. You don't have to sit there and wonder. You know, I was talking to a Catholic man one time, and he told me, you know, you really can't know for sure if you're on your way to heaven. And I was like, that's a load of baloney. And that's a sad a load of baloney, in all honesty. So many people, even in Christendom, live with this idea that they don't really know what's going to happen to them when they die. Let me tell you, you can know. You can know. Rejoice in the fact that Christ has saved you. If you believe that, if you trust that, if you only trust that Christ is the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by him. You know, not by, like I said again, not by your baptisms and not by your works and not by anything else this world adds. Only through him, by putting your faith in that, can you be reconciled to God. And that brings about this hope that we have. Rejoice in that hope. Hey, that's the recipe for revival. That's the best thing, is the hope that we have in Christ. Truly, I believe the best possession I own 
is my salvation. And the greatest thing about this is that it was a gift. It was never, it was given to me. I didn't earn it and I definitely didn't deserve it. But Christ gave it to me. Christ gave it to me. You know, I play a lot of video games. I really like video games and it's uh, it's been a hobby of mine ever since I was a little kid. And the biggest hub for buying computer games is through a computer application called Steam. And with that, it's almost like a little social networking thing as well. You know, you can have friends and you can talk to people and have communities and stuff like that. I mean, it's very basic. It's not really like detailed like it is like Instagram or Facebook, but it's still there. And the reason they have that is for gift giving being one of the aspects. You know, if you have a certain friend in your friend list and you want to get them a game, well, you can buy that game with your own money and gift it to them. They take the money out of your account. You don't get to keep the game, but they have all the rights and privileges to owning that game as if they bought it themselves. That's kind of like what we have with Christ. We own all the rights and privileges of being a child of God and owning salvation and owning righteousness while we did not have to work for it. We did not pay for this. We cannot pay for that. But Christ did it for us. And just as we should receive, you know, if someone were to buy you a gift, buy you a game, buy you a book, buy you some clothes, whatever else you want, Receive it with gratitude. And we have received something far greater than something temporal like food or a game. We've received eternal salvation. Eternally rejoice in that. And when you have that eternal rejoicing in the hope of Christ, hey, let me tell you, you have found the best thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to Little Light Devotions. I know there's probably a lot on your plate, so it means a lot we could take this time together and just talk. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find all of my social media info and business information on linkapp.com slash AC underscore LL. That's L-I-N-Q-A-P-P dot AC underscore LL. Again, thank you so much for listening. I pray God blesses your day and your future. God bless you. I love you. See y'all next time.